fundamental issue now before our people can be invaded with. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control them? I believe they are. My opponents do not. Councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. the future and the image of our hopes is ours is to determine by our actions and our choices. If we succeed, generations to come will say of us now living that we mastered our moment. Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo. Leading the right out of the ashes, this is The Right Take. How's it going, everybody? Welcome, welcome, one and all, to episode number 73 here of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lendrum, here with my co-host, as always, Jacob Grandstaff, and we are still continuing full speed ahead, damn the torpedoes, with our elections-themed coverage here of The Right Take from now until November. And the last round of primaries we had, with five different states voting in, on Tuesday of last week, uh, it can't be said enough. There were so many incredible victories for the America First movement for pro-Trump candidates and Trump-endorsed candidates in crucial swing states. But there were some other states that you would think are less competitive, but nevertheless had interesting results, shall we put it that way, that must be talked about, including, if needs to be said, there was one major loss that happened on Tuesday, a loss for the conservative movement, a loss for the American right. What was it? Well, we will talk about it right here and now in episode 73. It's coming from the state of Kansas, of all places. And it just so happens that there is a friend of the show, a frequent guest, a favorite of you guys, a fan favorite, if you will, of the guests we have had on, who is also a resident of the state of Kansas. And he is going to break down these elections for us today. 
the founder, the commander-in-chief of Valiant News, Tom Papper. Tom, welcome back to The Right Take. It's great to be back, Eric. I uh, I hope I can assuage some concerns the the listeners might have about my humble state here in Kansas. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as you guys make it out to be. Right, right. It's 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 definitely something that on its face it looks really bad, but if anything, it could maybe be taken as a a learning moment for the right moving forward for such an important issue. Before we get to the big marquee contest there, let's go ahead and summarize real quick. Let's just knock out this child's play of some of the uh statewide elections besides this one big ballot measure that are worth talking about. So of course, we have the governor's race there where incumbent Democrat Laura Kelly is up for re-election this year. And Trump's endorsement, incumbent Attorney General Derek Schmidt, won the Republican nomination to oppose her. So, Tom, as a resident of Kansas, what do you think about this uh, upcoming election in November? Do you think there's a chance that we could flip that seat red? Well, so Kansas is a weird state. The people, the political consultant class can't figure it out. The Beltway people can't figure it out. I can't figure it out, frankly, half the time. And I I was born here and live here. But since like 1920, Kansas has this weird habit, the voters do, where we give the Democrat eight years in the governor's mansion, then we kick out the party and we give the Republican eight years in the governor's mansion. And this has been going on basically for about as long as we've been a state. We became a state in the 18th. 1960s or whatever. So this is a very strange precedent. I couldn't understand why Kobach was going to try to run in 2018. I'm a big fan of his. I couldn't understand for the life of me why he thought that we would get two Republican administrations back to back. It seemed so far-fetched. And then he lost, and the establishment has used that against him in every subsequent race he's won. I really hope he wins uh, the race he's running for now. I believe it's attorney general. But what we saw in that governor primary race is incumbent Laura Kelly, who has tried her best to be a less attractive Gretchen Whitmer since the beginning of (laughs) COVID-19. She's compared herself to Jesus Christ and said that she knows the best for Kansas businesses and individuals. It's been an absolute catastrophe for her. And we saw her get, last I checked, around 250,000 votes. She had a a challenger from the left who I think got another 13,000, 14,000 votes. So you're talking 275,000 votes for an incumbent uh, Democrat who has been getting a ton of support. She goes on CNN. She's getting tons of money to fund her campaign with versus the Republican side with a little bit more crowded field. But I believe uh, Derek Schmidt had something like 300,000 votes. If you add up everybody else who was on the ballot, it comes to about 350, 360,000. So I think that this could be the first year in a hundred plus years that Kansas is going to kick a party out of the government mansion instead of a governor's mansion rather than give them a full two terms. And it's interesting. I've heard all kinds of rumors that Kelly was not even going to be on the ticket because things are getting so bad for her. Uh, I heard that from top level sources from here within the state who are very in tune with the Kansas Democratic Par- uh, Republican Party and Democratic Party and what's going on in Topeka. And they're all flabbergasted and shocked. Everybody thought that they were going to give Laura Kelly the same treatment that Obama gave uh, 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 Kathleen Sebelius back in 2008. Kathleen Sebelius was our last Democratic governor. She had two full terms. But by the end of the second term, she was, things were not going well for her. So Obama airlifted her out, made her the uh, fall guy for Obama. 
Obamacare when it started to fall apart at the seams. And that's how everybody remembers her. Well, I heard it was going to be the same thing for Laura Kelly. I heard she was going to do something in the Department of the Interior. Didn't wind up doing it. I think she's going to have a very, very tough reelection. I don't know what she could do. She's legalized sports betting to try to be more popular. There's rumors they're going to figure out how to legalize weed to make her more popular. I'm not sure anything can do it, though, after the the first term in office she's had. Well, that is definitely a, I think, an optimistic outlook overall. Again, in any other state, you know, certainly a state like Kansas and the area, you would think, oh, yeah, this should be a slam dunk. You know, it would be like a repeat of Kentucky, you know, where uh, the current governor there, the Democrat, uh, Andy Bashir, only narrowly won because the previous incumbent, the Republican incumbent he beat, was so unpopular. He had, like, some scandals going on or something. So surely next year, because Kentucky is an off-year state, they have their elections in 2023, then surely Kentucky will flip black, back red. So, um, But knowing that interesting trend, that interesting pattern Kansas always has, that's you could say when it comes to governor's races, it's basically a bellwether state in that, in that sense. Um, but I think that's very encouraging, and that's definitely a state that's one governor's race that's worth keeping an eye on. And, of course, you mentioned him by name earlier. I was going to talk about it as well. Chris Kobach, the absolutely based former secretary of state of Kansas who ran for governor, narrowly lost, ran for Senate, didn't win the nomination, and now is the nominee to succeed Derek Schmidt as the new attorney general. Uh, do you think uh, Kobach's going to win that race, Tom? He's won statewide elections in Kansas before. He's got great name recognition, and everybody who is, uh, I would say, a normal person here in Kansas really likes him. He was one of the main guys who made immigration such a national story, and he did that while serving in the state of Kansas, which really elevated Kansas in the eyes of a lot of Republicans. So I think that he is going to win. I think the only reason why he lost the primary election to run for U.S. Senate last uh, go-around in 2020 was because Mitch McConnell was playing favorites and. Uh, spending dark money. This is just my belief evidenced by the fact that there was tons of dark money spent and the ad campaigns all look just like Mitch McConnell's. I think Kobach is going to win. I think he'll be a great attorney general. And I, I kind of, I got a soft spot in my heart for the guy. I think he's a really good person. I don't think he's a very polished politician. He's a very good lawyer maybe, but I think that he is a real human being just like the rest of us. And uh, I've had one-on-one conversations with him where he will be very, very candid and I, I i think he'll win i hope he'll win i see no chance that the democrats are going to like have a big showing at the state level they may keep the governor's mansion just because kansas is weird like that <laughs> but in every other sense i don't see how the guy can lose well that brings us to another point is because obviously we lost big on the abortion vote and you mentioned that you don't see the democrats being able to come up with enough votes to uh, beat Kobach and beat schmidt but whenever you look at whenever you break down the vote, you see that the number of votes that voted against value them both amendment does not match with the number of votes that voted for these Democratic candidates. So maybe you can and this is kind of jumping into the abortion discussion. But unless there's anything else that Eric that you wanted to add about the about the race itself, maybe you could elaborate on that that those numbers don't add up. Well, well. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, just to summarize again for our viewers, since we're diving right into this again, the main issue that was on the ballot, the big ballot initiative is in Kansas this year on the primary day was something called the value them both amendment. And basically what this amendment would do is apparently in Kansas, state constitution, feel free to chime in here, Tom, with the accurate history. It's apparently abortion is a guaranteed right in the Kansas state constitution that was implemented, I think, in 2019. So under Laura Kelly, of course. 
And this amendment would have basically removed, repealed that amendment and said abortion is not a constitutionally protected, state constitutionally protected right. And it gives the state legislature authority to pass bans, you know, like the kind of bans you're seeing, the trigger laws and whatnot that are being passed all over the country right now after the Roe v. Wade decision. So this is being widely touted as the first big test of abortion as an election year issue after Roe v. Wade. And yeah, I believe the margin was uh, 58 to 42 percent voted who voted against the measure which would the measure had it passed would have repealed the abortion right so or made it possible for the state legislature to repeal abortion so a 16 point margin of defeat on a pro life issue in an ostensibly red state like Kansas that's being widely touted as a a defeat for the right and of course the media is just drooling over like oh this is proof that abortion will save the democrats in 2022 so <laughs> many different narratives here tom feel free to break it down now from your perspective on the ground well, they have certainly been talking about Kansas a whole lot. Again, it's interesting how they talk about that, and not that the Republicans had 100,000 more votes in the primary than the Democrats did. But the first thing to understand about the value them both amendment is it, when the average voter got to the polls, they got a the most con- – I, I don't know if there's ever been a ballot initiative more confusing than this. Because if, uh, if you ask me, Tom, do you support abortion, yes or no, I'm going to say no 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the polls and you see the little ballot, a yes vote for the value them both amendment means yes, I don't want abortion. A no vote means no, I do want abortion. Mm -hmm. So it was confusing on its face to start. The Republican Party did not do a good job of getting the message out on that. The only people I really saw trying to get the messaging out were the Catholic Church, the diocese here in in my neck of the woods. Nobody else even gave it a a shot, even my church. I mean, I I hate to throw them under the bus, but they mentioned it like once uh, the Sunday before the election day, and there was nothing else. There was no big concerted effort from the Kansas Republican Party. We certainly did not receive any help from any of the uh, National Republican Party, even our elected leaders here. I didn't see uh, 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 Roger Marshall, our U.S. senator, out there uh, telling people about it. I didn't see Jerry Moran telling people about it. I didn't see Ron Estes telling people about it. The only person I did see was the wife of ex-representative Tim Hulskamp was talking about it quite a bit. That was it. So there was very little uh, massive... Uh, get out the vote initiative, I would say. The other part of that, of this, is the massive protests, the vandalism and theft of signs that was happening in a otherwise normally quiet Midwestern state where you don't see a lot of crime unless George Floyd gets killed. We don't usually have protests. But every single weekend for the past six or so weeks, all across downtown Wichita, the biggest uh, population city in Kansas, you saw these protesters. And it looked like, I mean, I don't think they bust them in or anything. I think they're domestic. But they looked exactly like the big 350-pound women you see at the Women's March every year. (laughs) So there was some – and I thought maybe that would help us. That's why I was being maybe – well, maybe we do have a chance. But – There's some history that people don't know about Kansas as well. We, of course, are unfortunately the home to, I guess it's the the Phelps family, the God Hates uh, F-Words group up there in Topeka. So there is a lot of, oh boy, we can't be confused with those people. Westboro Baptist Uh, Church, that's right. Yes. That's right. That's right. We've also had in my city... An abortionist was shot dead at a Sunday church service about 10 years ago. His name was, I think, George Tiller. Uh, People were very spooked after that happened, thinking, oh, my God, are we going to be like, is this going to be bleeding Kansas from 200 years ago? What is happening? Uh, And then just 
an optics thing that's been going on since before I was alive. We have another church group. I won't say their name, but they would uh, they would protest abortion. And what they would do is they would have their three and four year old children uh, lay on the ground in the in the parking lot of the Planned Parenthood or whatever the abortion clinic was, which tells passersby. Hey, wait a minute. So you're saying that life is sacred in the womb, but you're going to get your toddler killed to express that? So the abortion is a very weird issue in Kansas. We've had murders. We've had very stupid pro-life protesters going out there and doing a terrible job of representing the brand. And then we had a ballot initiative that made absolutely no sense. Yes means I don't want abortion. No means yes, I do want abortion. I was not surprised. I was predicting in the days and weeks before the, the initiative, uh, before Tuesday, that it was probably not going to pass, but the Republicans were otherwise going to have a very good night. And that's exactly what happened. I hate to be so so flippant about it because obviously I'm pro-life and obviously I believe that I wish it would have passed. But knowing all the background of Kansas, knowing that we have a Democrat, Laura Kelly, in office, and that happens every 16 years, we get a new one or whatever, I was not shocked and I was not surprised. I was a little bit surprised to see exactly what kind of victory the Democrats were going to try to make this out to be at the national level. And I'm hoping that their joy will turn to ashes in their mouth this November when uh, the Republicans have another strong showing and kick that gremlin Laura Kelly out of Topeka. No, I I certainly can't wait for that. The idea of... uh, Especially in Kansas, like you said, they had this big you know, abortion victory, and they turn around and lose anyway, just proving that it meant absolutely nothing. That would definitely be a just in typical style oh, of the Democrats. My final thing I have to say, the funding for the pro-abortion side was mm-hmm. so insane. We had nothing on our end. It was like two I to one, right? Watch- Yeah, I could not watch a YouTube video. You can't turn on local television. You can open your smartphone and go on Facebook without seeing pro-abortion ads run. It was – and there's some of the most disingenuous stuff you could ever believe. The text Mm -hmm. messaging campaigns were absolutely ridiculous where they were telling people that a vote no is in fact the uh, pro-life position. It was some of the most dishonest electioneering I've ever seen in my life. And, of course, because it's Kansas, nobody talks about it, and the Democrats get what they want. And they always do this, by the way. Final thing, then I'll shut up for a second. In 2018, it must have been, we had a a House seat come up. We needed to replace a a U.S. representative. And the Democrats found this guy named Thompson. They spent, I believe the number was $6 million trying to arrest him. There's only 2 million people in the state of Kansas. And, And they lost by, like, 15 points, and it was Ron Estes, and Ron Estes has held the seat ever since. So the Democrats are perfectly willing and able to pump money into this poor state whenever they think they can get a win, and this is the first win they've had as long as I've been watching them. Well, you brought up the ads, and I read this in Washington Monthly this morning. It's uh, The name of this article is The Ads That Won the Kansas Abortion Referendum, and it points out, see, one, two, three, four different ads, five different ads. And they focused, they pointed out that all these groups that were spending all this money in Kansas, they were trying to persuade middle of the road voters. They weren't necessarily trying to gin up the progressive vote because they know there aren't enough progressives in Kansas to win the day for them. So they were running things like, uh, like one brought on a doctor who was pointing out that, you know, I took an oath to do no harm. If a woman's health or life is in danger, I have to abort the baby in order to avoid doing harm to the woman. This woman who had a baby that was that threatened her life, she was saying, you know, if, if this amendment passes, then Kansas will, might pass a law that will 
end up allowing women like me to have to die because they can't remove the fetus. And they also really focused on uh, government control. They were trying to aim for the libertarians. And this is one area where I think they actually succeeded in pulling a lot of independents and libertarian-minded people over because even most libertarians, if you break down the issue to them, they're somewhat pro-life. And you know, it basically they won the ad war and because they were able to appeal to middle of the road voters. And some of and one thing that Washington Monthly that this will link in the description, one thing that they, this article points out is that if progressives saw these ads, they weren't very happy with it because <laughs> a lot of the arguments that these ads were making were actually appealing to pro-lifers, like saying like well, they, uh, here's an example. One ad focused on all of you probably saw this one. It focused on all of the ways that abortion is already restricted in Kansas. Yep. And they were pointing yep. out, they were emphasizing, you know, in Kansas, you can't get an abortion past 22 weeks. And this is naturally aggravating to a progressive who wants to make abortion legal until the point of birth. But they're not, those ads aren't meant for those people. They're meant for the middle of the road folks who don't really give abortion much thought. What it is, and I will denigrate my own state a little bit here, but it's low information voters who are conservatives, are Christians, but they're not obsessed with politics, Like, which is a more healthy way to live your life, in all mm -hmm. honesty. Oh, Most yeah. political people are not happy people. And they presented it as uh, voting a no would be the uh, – uh, it would be the pro – small government position. And so I've got an example while you were talking, Jacob. I, this is a text that I got, one of the dishonest texts. I tried to get this person to call me. I happened to be live doing my show, and I thought it would just be hilarious if I could get them to talk to me for five minutes. But of course, they wouldn't do that. So here is the, the text I received the, the Thursday before the election. Hi, Thomas. I'm Lakshmi. What the? <laughs> what? I'm Lakshmi, a volunteer. And then this Somebody is the flew in from San Francisco, probably. Was, yeah, what is a lot? Sounds like I don't a name. Even from, know what ethnicity that is? It's like a name from a fairy tale. I just think of the character Mr. Schmee from Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, where do they get these people? Okay, hi Thomas. I'm Lakshmi, a volunteer. Moms will die in Kansas from not accessing health care, and voting yes August second will allow for banning things like IVF. Voting no protects 19 laws that heavily restrict and regulate abortions. Will you be voting yes or no? And so that's the type of, I would say, dishonesty and flippant disregard for the truth and manipulation of voters that the average person was receiving. And I'm a cheeky guy who does news for a living, so I respond, uh, call me and let's discuss. They say they won't call me, so I send back, well, I guess I'll have to let the mothers die then. But <laughs> the average person, the average oh person probably does not have this evil brain that I have. And they just yeah. thought, wow, OK, I'm going to vote no. Well, in Mississippi, there was an amendment on the ballot on abortion, and it failed two to one. In other words, the pro-choice side won two to one in the state of Mississippi, one of the most pro-life states in the country. And the reason for that – this was like five ten year, to ten years ago. The reason for that was because they successfully convinced a majority of Mississippians that if this bill passed, if this referendum passed, it would outlaw in vitro fertilization. They, they just – they won the ad war. They won the optics war. They won the communications war, and the reason why they won is because, like you mentioned, see, 20 years ago in an abortion referendum, the churches would have showed up. Protestant and Catholic would have showed up in force. They would have put this on Christian radio, on conservative radio. This would have been at the front, at front and center. Nowadays, churches don't talk about anything really regarding politics. 
And it's not because they're fearful of losing their tax-exempt status, because I remember 20 years ago, they would talk about moral issues. You don't have to say, go vote for this politician, but they would discuss abortion and same-sex marriage. And now it's just, they stay quiet on it. And that's why, you know, you don't show up to fight, you're going to lose. That's, that's at the end of the day, they won this fair and square. You know, we can spend money if we want to spend money. We can talk about issues from the pulpit or on the street corner if you want to talk about certain issues. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, they, the cultural right, the, the momentum that the cultural right, Jacob, as you and I have talked about off the air, they don't have that momentum anymore. What they had in like the 90s or even the early 2000s, the Christian right, you know, the, the conservative, you know, the backbone of the United States that overwhelmingly was, you know, culturally Christian and proud of it, that they lost the momentum and they just don't know how to use it anymore. They certainly they're afraid of getting canceled or they see that the left has already run away with the culture and has shifted the culture so hard against them that they're afraid of trying to speak out and use that power they once had even though if they used it they would already have they would gain majority support because the vast majority of the country is still culturally conservative and mostly christian for the most part it could have worked that's how for example i mean as recently as 2008 it was that kind of coalition that saw california vote uh in favor of prop 8 which banned gay marriage in mm-hmm. california cultural conservatives made that happen in Maine, 2010, Maine voted to outlaw gay marriage. I think it was 2009, Maryland voted to outlaw gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And just going back to the numbers that I was pointing out earlier, there were 738,085 people who voted in the Kansas gubernatorial primary. That's both parties combined. Mm-hmm. 738,085. In the referendum, there were 922,323. So almost 200,000, that's about 185,000 more people voted on that referendum than even bothered to vote in the primary, which even if you take out the confusing ballot and the lackluster support for the amendment among the pro-life crowd, it shows that Planned Parenthood and their allies were successful in turning out people to vote on this one issue. They showed up and all they did was vote on the amendment. They didn't vote for any Democrats, which goes back to the point that you're making, Tom, about them thinking that this is the abortion issue is going to push Democrats over the finish line. And I, I'm not so sure. I think the Kansas example kind of refutes that. No, I, I think that you're right, Jacob. I think that uh, there was a miss, uh, it was a missed opportunity almost for the pro-death uh, baby killers. They should have maybe had this coincide with the general election when anybody can vote so long as they show up and have an ID rather than in the primaries, because then you might have seen a little bit of a boost toward Laura Kelly. But I mean, I, I should have asked, I should have done interviews, but I try not to uh, uh, defecate where I eat, so to speak. And so I didn't want to mess with the protesters that were literally at one point outside where I live. So, but I should have asked because they didn't strike me as the type that were like hardcore Democrats who vote in every primary and know the ins and outs of the, these strike me as low information, uh, millennial women, almost exclusively millennial women who they, and and some of them are like 50, some were not millennial, some were X and boomer 50 and above. I couldn't understand why they were there, but it struck me as at low information voters being told, this is your opportunity to push back at Roe versus Wade at the state level. You can show the Supreme court where they can shove their decision by doing this. And by having this one wedge issue, you're right. It didn't translate into a bunch of extra votes for Laura Kelly in the primary. And now there's no way it's going to transfer into extra votes for her in the fall. Now, 
there is a certain amount of evil genius. I mean, I, I, I as, as happy as I was, and I'm still happy to see Roe versus Wade overturned, there's a certain amount of evil genius to forcing Republicans to defend an issue that we'd all gotten weak at. Those muscles aren't really there anymore. We assumed that abortion was kind of dead, and we didn't, we didn't have an opportunity to do anything about it because Roe versus Wade from 1972 or whatever set it all in stone. So we would make little 5% adjustments where we could and just kind of forget about it. And I think as a result, we've totally given the left the entire narrative. It's a very destructive thing. I'm, I do think that if there was some sort of national referendum on abortion on the ballot this November in all 50 states, you would see the Democrats probably keep the House or and take the Senate and take more mm-hmm. seats in the Senate. Fortunately, that will never happen. Uh, but if they manage to make abortion their number one issue, I do think it would help the left, unfortunately. Yeah, and one of the things that I've noticed from a lot of Republicans with this Kansas initiative is rather than focus on abortion and what the legislature actually wants to do, they were they were quibbling about semantics. So for instance, mm-hmm. they were arguing that, you know, the Democrats are or the progressives are misrepresenting this amendment, that this amendment actually doesn't outlaw abortion. All it does is it gives the right to the people to decide for themselves what they want for abortion. I'm sorry, but your average low low information voter, they're just hearing a bunch of words and they're not comprehending. All they hear is, okay, so you want to outlaw abortion. That's that's basically what they hear. So yeah. it would they would actually behoove Republicans to come right out and say, yes, we want to outlaw abortion unless the woman's health or life is at risk. Period. Like don't nuance it. You don't have to get into semantics. It's like, yes, that's right. Plan- basically what Planned Parenthood is saying, that's what we want without the the lies about in vitro fertilization like that that stuff's not right but as far as outlawing abortion unless a woman's health is at risk yes that's what we want to do and that's what we're voting on and if they did that they would actually rally a pro-life base to show up and vote whereas i'm i'll guarantee you there's a lot of people in kansas that they're they weren't even aware of this thing being on the ballot because they just heard a bunch of noise coming from all these text messages and ads that just tune out because no one from their camp actually reached out to them and said hey You've got a once in a generational opportunity now to actually make abortion illegal in this state. I think that's right. And uh, again, there's a lot of finger pointing that should be happening right now. After the 2020 election, or uh, it must have been earlier, that must have been 2018, when Laura Kelly won in November of 2018, heads rolled at the Republican Party of Kansas. I happen to know for a fact that, uh, well, I won't name drop the guy, but I'm, I know the guy who was the head of the party at that time. He re- was extremely drunk and resigned in disgrace by the next day after the November election. It was understood we messed up. This is on us. Uh, we're all going to go away. And that's mm-hmm. what happened. And frankly, they probably deserve that. There doesn't seem to be any type of introspection like that happening now. There was no reason for the Republicans to get excited because the Republican Party's messaging was, it's not even that big of a deal, Democrats. Don't worry about it. It might give us the ability to do something in the future if we feel like it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, that was the re- messaging that Republicans received, too, when the Republican messaging should have been, as you said, this is our once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We're going to have a 
massive conservative Christian majority in the legislature this upcoming legislative session. Let's use that for the first time to make sure that the rights of the unborn and the lives of the unborn are protected in this state. Instead, it was it's kind of like your grandfather's Republican Party, where we were all just kind of saying, well, you know, the subtext here is that if we can get our way, then maybe we'll save some babies. But you know, don't say that <laughs> yeah. too loud. Exactly. Don't say that. right. Exactly. That'll yeah. make them mad. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's a failure. That's not how Trump won. That's not yeah. how we're going to win this November. The, the, we're not, it's not how we're going to get Congress back. That's not how we're going to win in 2024. Bold and brash, as Squidward mm-hmm. would say, should be <laughs> our, our marketing. That's yes, right. Because, yes. Jacob, you mentioned to me when we were talking about the abortion issue, you said that uh, you saw a guest who was on Hannity talking in the aftermath of the abortion failure like the next day who was coping and basically saying, oh, they were lo- – the left was lying about this amendment. They were saying yes. the amendment itself would ban abortion. That's that's not true. It would only make it possible for the legislature to ban abortion. And your message basically was, how dumb do they think voters are? Like, mm-hmm. what else is going to happen <laughs> if we pass this thing and make it possible for the legislature to ban abortion? Of course they're going to ban abortion. That's what it's yeah. for. Because, like, if you're well, going to pass – so you want to pass this amendment, but you don't want to ban abortion. Like, why do we need the amendment? Like, that's, <laughs> that's kind of like well, – yeah, that's makes yeah. sense. Well, and, and frankly, they pro- I mean, the Kansas legislature, they really did good a couple times when it came to challenging Laura Kelly's unconstitutional COVID restrictions, and they've done a good job, but it's because they were forced. We mm-hmm. basically held our legislators at a bayonet point and said, let me take off the mask or else. Mm-hmm. And that's what it took to get our, our state-level Republicans into action. It, 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 was, it was something unbelievable. So there's a real chance that this layabout republic, especially Kansas, is one of these states, and I don't blame the people for this, they don't know any better, where in western Kansas, you might have a state legislative district get 800 votes in the election. And so the guy's website, when you go to it, the Republican, it's going to say, small government, God, guns, and Bibles, Reagan, Ronald Reagan, Trump is still my president. And then when you look at their voting record, it matches the Democrats. And again, 800 votes in the middle of nowhere, it's easy for them to get reelected. So there's a real chance that they, that's another thing. There's not a real reason to be excited if you're a Republican in this state because you know, if you're in the know, that when it comes time to for rubber to meet the road, the legislature might sit on its hands. That's mm-hmm. what they're best at in this state. Oh, and you mentioned the lockdowns and the, the masks and stuff. One of those ads that one of the pro-abortion groups ran, actually it mentioned government tyranny, as in government tyranny and not allowing women to kill their babies. But the images they showed was businesses shuttered because of COVID and people being forced to wear masks. So think about the visual that's sending to people. It's identifying. So a progressive who sees that, who supports masking and shutting down businesses during coronavirus, they don't like that strategy, but... The ad isn't wasn't seen by them. The YouTube right. targeted ads. I mean, I, I think there was a reason why I was receiving all of these ads. It's because they think that I am a, a swing voter and every single ad. I mean, it was actually if, if I, it was confusing the first time I saw one, I had to sit there and wait, wait a minute. I thought vote yes was the good one because they sit there and they tell you the government is coming for your rights. They want to make it possible for the state to take away your medical freedom. We all saw how that happened in 2020. Do you really want the legislature to have the ability to do that again anytime they want? Respect small government. Respect conservative principles. Kill babies with us. That was how the ads were written. <laughs> it's, a, it's an ingenious strategy. It's yeah, a great it strategy. It's a marketing it's, it's And a marketing it's the only type of thing you can do 
in a rural state where you don't have institutional support. It's like Sean Hannity. Maybe if he had been there the night before telling his millions of nightly viewers what the what the matter actually was, what was what the language actually was, what the possibilities were if vote yes wins, maybe we would have had some some more success. But instead, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback, or in this case, Wednesday morning quarterback, where they'll all sit there and assign blame, but nobody wants to take it to their own. And I would say that maybe I am, uh, have some blame. I have a, a, a medium-sized website. I don't know how many Kansas readers we even have. We're a national website. But I, you gotta assign some blame to the party, to the Republican establishment. You don't get to sit there on Wednesday morning and talk about how awful it is that this was allowed to happen when Monday night you didn't do anything to help. Well, I think a lot of the Republican establishment, they're very ambiguous on abortion to begin with. Like the, deep down inside, I, you remember, you probably remember, I think it was an Ohio congressman back in 2018. He was called on a hot mic bashing pro-lifers. He was bashing, I don't know, it was somewhere in the Midwest, but he was bashing um, pro-lifers. He got called and he retired in 2018. He was one of the Republicans in 2018 that just decided that he wasn't going to run for re-election. And I think deep down inside, a lot of these folks, are, they're Republican because they're pro-business. They want lower taxes and they want to make money. And the abortion stuff, they, they see that as an unfortunate alliance with pro-lifers. And so they don't really care about that issue. And that's why, you know, that's why uh, people who actually do care about the issue, churches, Christians, have to get organized on this issue and, uh, you know, focus. I've on got some friends. gossip for you to uh, to help you with that. So you're right. Mike Pompeo was, of course, our state, our uh, U.S. rep for a couple years there. Then he left to go work for Trump. Actually, he was the CIA director. Then he got to go be the uh, State Department guy, the Secretary of State for a couple years. And now it is very, very clear to anybody who pays attention that Mike Pompeo is running for president in 2024. He hasn't announced it yet, but it's pretty obvious. And I was watching Pompeo's speech recently, which uh, I know Ukraine war is very divisive and not why he brought me in, but he was talking about the Ukraine war. And he said something in his speech that just kind of left me as a Kansan and a guy who is used to this guy saying, fellow Kansans, Kansas is going to be great. That's Pompeo. Well, not anymore. He said, and I know very well from the time I spent in Kansas how important wheat is. And so this guy who is presenting himself as a true, true blue conservative from the flyover state of Kansas, now it's reduced to the time I spent in Kansas, just like <laughs> the time he spent in West Point or the time he worked in oil. It's just a little it's a it's a bookmark in his life it's a it's a couple chapters in the biography he's planning that's how all or at least most of the Republican establishment views their voters. It is an unfortunate but necessary means to get where they want to be, whether that's low taxes or president of the United States. He's going to pretend to be one of us for a few years, pretend to care about the things we care about. And then when it's time to go on to greener pastures, cut and run. Who cares about Kansas anymore? Sold his house, has no ties to the city. I know people used to be able to get Pompeo on the phone. They haven't talked to him since 2018. Wow, that's just that's just that's just sad. It's uh, it's really it's really sad that, uh, that you know they basically just completely reject the state of their you know their home state like that. For well, they they see the shiny uh, shiny glitz and glamour of Washington D.C. They fall in love with it. Yep, yep, and again. We served our purpose, and I think that's how the majority of people look at the pro-life movement. They will serve their purpose in getting me elected, and then they will shut up for another four years. 
I think that's the view, the, the, the probably the standard view if you are a Mitch McConnell Republican. A Mitch McConnell Republican. That's such a great way to put it because they honestly – that is the epitome. Along with the pro-impeachment Republicans that are still around in the country, that is the best way to categorize a Republican who deserves to lose no matter the cost. All right. Uh, if that's – is there anything else you want to say about Kansas, Tom? Oh, boy, my poor state. My, well, I would just say – and I know that some of the Monday morning quarterbacking is over by time this airs. But anybody left or right telling you that this is somehow proof that the conservatives are going to lose in November and the Republicans are all going to be doomed because of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, the, it is, as the kids say, cope. They had mm -hmm. one little thing that they could call a victory out of last Tuesday, and it was a confusing ballot that was outspent two to one and had no institutional support from the right in a in a flyover state. They lost everything else. We're we're still waiting on pins and needles to see what's going to happen with Joe Kent. If he wins, that's every single impeachment Republican, as you said, that was up for re-election is now not going to be there no matter what. That it was a massive unprecedented unprecedented win for Republicans, I would say even in Kansas, because it's looking like Laura Kelly is going to be packing her bags in a few months. Don't let them like hold this one state as much as I love my home state. Don't let them hold that up as a victory. It's the only thing they have. A fellow distributor of white pills, if ever I have met one, I love it. I am on the same page <laughs> as you, my man. A temporary setback with the abortion vote and nothing else. Kobach is going to be back in a statewide office. We're going to have a Republican as governor of Kansas again, and they are going to be BTFO'd in November again, despite this mirage of victory they've created themselves, this cope, as you have said. Speaking of massive Democrat losses, we had to talk about this. We decided right before we started recording we were going to go this direction. There is one other state that you are very familiar with, Tom, besides your home state of Kansas, of course, and it is the site of the biggest wave. I mean absolute clean sweep of MAGA, America First, pro-Trump, and Trump-endorsed candidates of any primaries we've seen in a long time, and that is the crucial swing state of Arizona. Tom, you want to give us a nice, very enthusiastic summary of the big, bigly wins we had in Arizona? <laughs> Well, this is exactly what we were talking about. They're going to try to hold Kansas up. Meanwhile, in Arizona, every single anti-Trump candidate or every single even lukewarm candidate on Trump is lost. It was an unbelievable victory all the way from governor where we had finally at the end of the week, we had uh, Carrie Lake be declared the winner over establishment and Mike Pence back. Mm -hmm. Kareen Robson, this person who nobody had even heard of despite the millions of dollars spent on her campaign. Exactly. I'm most excited potentially as much as I love Kerry about the Senate where Blake Masters pulled off the victory against Jim Lehman, who seemed okay, and against this guy Mark Burnovich. For those who don't know, Mark Burnovich is the current Attorney General of Arizona. They handed him the Arizona Senate uh, audit report from last year, Maricopa County, handed it to him on the day that audit was completed. He sat on it for a year. He finally did some little tiny itsy bitsy moves to try to make the elections more secure. A judge came back and said, why'd you sit on this for a year? We're throwing it out. So Mark Burnovich did not receive the Trump endorsement. I mm -hmm. was thrilled to see that. And he finished in a very distant 
third place. That guy is now now Mike Blake Masters is going to go up against Mark Kelly, who I got in trouble a couple years ago for <laughs> stating that, in my opinion, he is space Hitler. I believe that he dressed as Adolf Hitler in his Merchant Marine Academy yearbook photo. He sued me and we had to fight and duke it out like like dogs in an alleyway for a year. Finally, he dropped it. Just saying. So I'm very excited that my personal arch nemesis, he can go back to space for all I care. But even going further we, we down. Can, uh, we, we can eject Mark Kelly out the airlock like the bad guy in the James Bond movie Moonraker. Yes. Take a giant, <laughs> yes. Take a giant step of mankind. And then Blake Masters can be in the back. Confiscate his coat. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, I'm thrilled. Uh, but even further than that, Gozar obviously won his reelection. Yes. He had, I believe, five candidates running against him. Mm-hmm. He secured 63% of the vote. That's that's unbelievable. Andy Biggs has been uh, reelected to his nominee stats. And, and even go down a little bit. Legislators make more difference, we now know, after the 2020 election than anybody gives them credit for. Wendy Rogers won election. Mark Fincham is going to be potentially elected to a statewide office. He's the Republican candidate for Secretary of State. Also he was endorsed the guy by Trump. Who- also endorsed by Trump, and he was the guy who brought Trump to the state, well, Giuliani at all, Jenna Ellis, to deliver the presentation on why the election might have been stolen. So that is extraordinarily good news. Face. Every single level of Arizona has a Republican that is backed by Trump and supports what America First really means at the mantle. And the the seething from the other side has just been beyond belief. By the way, this is my favorite part about Arizona. I, I'm a realist. And I've been concerned that the Republicans spending a lot of time talking about the 2020 election, which I happen to believe was stolen from Trump, might be doing more harm than good. Because what does the average Joe who only listens to politics for three weeks a year before an election, what do they think about people talking about the last election so much? Is that going to turn them off? Well, in Arizona, we don't even have to worry about it, thankfully, because we have election integrity champion Carrie Lake on the right. But on the left, we have this Katie Hobbs woman who is literally responsible for the last election and she won't shut up about it she's more harping on the last election than any republican even donald trump and maybe that's because it's emails coming out of her office that were telling election workers to only use sharpies on election day everybody remembers the now fact-checked and quote-unquote debunked sharpie gates well she was the one. We have the emails. It's all public where it was coming out of her office. People can use pins on any early voting day, but on election day, we demand they use Sharpies. It was all this Hobbs lady orchestrating it all. So now the Democrats can't even hoist that over Republicans' head and say, look, they're all obsessed over the last election. They can't get over it. They lost. They're going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be sitting there in the debate saying, no, we really won that election. Trust me. Trust me. I ran it. We won that election. It's going to, it's beautiful. Arizona could not be better. And what's most exciting about this is the leadership Dr. Kelly Ward, the Republican Party chairwoman in that state. She, of course, has been hip to America first since before any of us really knew what it meant. She was endorsed by Trump, I believe, or at least backed by him unofficially all the way back in 2016. And what was she doing in 2016? She was running a primary campaign against the one and only John McCain, who ruled that state like his own personal fiefdom. And now in his absence, it's all falling apart. Ducey doesn't know what to do. His (laughs) daughter, uh, Megan McCain, with her dowager's hump, is having... Twitter meltdown after Twitter meltdown after Twitter meltdown. The McCain 
stranglehold over the state of Arizona is finally over and it's time for Patriots to take over. Oh yeah, it's it's fantastic. The, like, like you said, people may be thinking, it can't possibly be that rosy, right? It can't be that good. Wrong! It is that good and it's even <laughs> better. We had to, I had to talk a little bit about the dynamics of some of these races because it's so important. So you had, again, the governor's race. For those of you who don't know, Carrie Lake was endorsed by Trump. She's a popular former news anchor. I guess she had been a news anchor for decades with statewide TV. So she almost, I guess, kind of like the Walter Cronkite of Arizona in a certain sense. So she was very recognizable when she announced her run. And she was originally running against uh, two major candidates for the nomination, Karen uh, Robson, as you uh, talked about, Kareen, Karen Robson, and a former congressman named Matt Salmon, yes, like the fish, who has previously run for governor before and lost. And the important thing here is this was viewed as a major proxy race between Trump and Pence. Trump endorsed Carrie Lake, and Mike Pence endorsed Robson. And Robson was also supported by Governor Ducey. Uh, Barry Goldwater Jr., son of the famous Barry Goldwater, uh, she was supported by the Arizona establishment and funded much more heavily funded than Carrie Lake, even to the point that Matt Salmon, the, the, again, the other Republican, dropped out of the race to endorse her to consolidate the anti-Trump vote behind her against Lake. And Lake still won, even with some shenanigans going on on primary night that seemed to suggest, like, the results were coming in slower and maybe they're going to try to steal it. By the end of it, it was Maricopa over. Maricopa County. Maricopa County, but also a Pinal and Pima <laughs> County running out of ballots for Republican voters, which, uh, as Carrie Lake pointed out on Twitter, that seems to be an indication of nothing else, of massive Republican turnout. Like, as the vote was coming in, like 50% reporting in, Robson was really far ahead, like eight points ahead. It looked like it was going to be an upset loss. But then as all the election day, the day of votes came in, they went for Carrie Lake as much as 60 to 70% in favor of Carrie Lake. So record high Republican primary turnout. Carrie Lake crushed it, even despite the Arizona's state establishment best efforts to stop her and again u.s senate as you said uh blake masters up against jim layman a solar power businessman who very much was uh, has a lot of ties with china a long history of ties with china which is always pretty sketch and yeah mark burnovich the do-nothing attorney general who decided like you said when he was plays giving, with nunchucks plays have with, you seen his nunchuck video yes i have seen <laughs> the nunchucks video he's on the it's roof the he put that video up the day after the Arizona audit finishes, and he starts by saying, people of Arizona, I understand you want answers, but I know what you want even more is nunchucks. And he starts playing with nunchucks. <laughs> he doesn't even say what nunchucks. With you? He says, the, the, chucks. the chucks. You want the chucks. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? of all things. And the funny thing is this guy – as the attorney general, he's the only Republican in that race, in that primary, who had a statewide office. So initially, he was the front runner just by default name yep. recognition. He was the front runner for over a year. Then Trump's endorsement came in and just like the J.D. Vance race in Ohio, completely flipped over and Blake Masters won in a landslide. He's backed by Peter Thiel. He's got that solid funding. He's endorsed by Trump. He is the best candidate to take on that absolutely insane gun-grabbing astronaut Mark Kelly. And yeah, I, I wanted to talk one more also. You mentioned uh, a couple more. Paul Gozar real quick. He is in the new 9th district due to redistricting. It's an R plus 16 seat. He won renomination. He's unopposed in the general election. Even the Democrats are like, okay, as controversial as he may be, controversial, quote, unquote, we can't beat him. We're just giving up. You got it. So he has won that race unopposed. Good for Congressman Gozar. And the state Senate District 7, this was interesting. So Wendy Rogers, who uh, they've been going after her pretty hard for a number of things she said. And a few remarks she said that even I would be like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said that. But either way, she was censured by the state Senate. Due to redistricting, her district was combined with another incumbent's district, a woman named Kelly Townsend. And this is crucial because you've got Wendy Rogers at one end of the spectrum, like all in on 
combating voter fraud. Kelly Townsend, on the other hand, is a total rhino who most interestingly— Well, and I would even say—I mean, I'm I, sorry, I hate to interrupt. No, go ahead. Kelly Townsend was a new legislator. She tried. I don't know what her deal is. I think this is the difference between doing something because you actually care about it and doing it for popularity. Because she was involved with the election integrity fight in 2020. She was involved with Stop the Steal. She was tweeting good things and seeming like she was going to be a good person. And then— for reasons unbeknownst to me, the, her entire tenure, her her two years she was in office, appeared to have just devolved into petty cat fights and interpersonal squabbles with with Wendy Rogers. And again, Wendy, I like Wendy. I think she's great. I agree. There's some things she said that maybe I think are a bit too much, but whatever. She's a she's a human being. We all say things that sometimes come out wrong. Uh, but to sit there and and by the way, Kelly had the opportunity to move into a different race. In fact, she was already in a different race that she would have won and she probably would have got the Trump endorsement. But instead, because of this interpersonal squabbling, she ditched that, basically said, I don't need or want Trump's endorsement. I'm going to run against Wendy and I'm going to beat her for the for the sanctity of the Republican name or something like that. And yeah, she lost. And frankly, she deserved to lose. I have no idea idea what that woman was thinking. I'll add that because of that lawsuit I mentioned earlier, I've talked mm -hmm. to everybody in Arizona, just about everybody I've mentioned. The one woman who would never return my phone calls was Kelly Townsend. So I may be holding a grudge. I don't know. Womp womp. The valiant news curse. Those who smite, who spite valiant news are doomed to fail from space Hitler to Kelly Townsend. I, I did have to talk about because you mentioned, yeah, she seemed to be good at first. This is one story I will never forget. This put her on my radar the moment it happened. This was in April of 2021. So right after the election, Arizona was originally right front and center of the election integrity fight because like some of those early comprehensive bills that were passed in Iowa, Florida, Georgia and Texas, Arizona was on the verge. They passed a couple of mild bills that kind of took a little uh, like a pickaxe to a mountain trying to chip away at it. There was this one really solid bill that would have cleaned up the absentee voter list of at least 200,000 names as a result of implementing like stricter you know restrictions on like how you can qualify for absentee. And this bill was introduced in the Senate, which in the Arizona State Senate is very divided. I think the Republicans have a majority of one. And that bill came up for a vote. And it was Kelly Townsend who pulled a McCain and true John McCain spirit did the thumbs down. She sided with the Democrats and killed that bill. Her reasoning being, if I recall correctly, she introduced a similar bill. Uh, like they wouldn't uh, vote on they, my version. They voted, I remember that. They voted on another that. woman, another senator's bill of doing the same thing. And she's like, well, screw you. We'll be my the her version was the superior version, but this is how politics work, right? Mm -hmm. We got to have something that's let if it's 90% of what we want and it doesn't do anything bad, let's do that. Let's just mm -hmm. go with it. And mm -hmm. I believe the other bill was from that. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember her name right now. Not a great person, not a great America first individual. Eugenie but again, that's the one. The one, that's the one. The Thank one who God she lost. Yeah, she, I remember her getting booed off the stage of that TPUSA conference. Got that booed was off stage. Then she called the cops on TPUSA and tried <laughs> to say that they were harassing her. Yeah, oh, she had a total God. Karen meltdown. Yeah. yeah. And so, again, I kind of get it. I get I don't like you, Ginty Rita. I get it. Her bill was inferior to your bill. But now we have nothing. Is that really better, Ms. T uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Townsend? I don't think so. I don't think nothing is better than getting us 85% of where we want to be. Exactly. Making the perfect the enemy of the good gets you absolutely nowhere. Uh, and one other race I had to talk about here, I'm, I'm sure you follow this one, Tom. <laughs> this blew me away. This wasn't on my radar, but I saw the reports later on. 
the Speaker of the Arizona State House of Representatives, a fellow by the name yes. of Russell Rusty Bowers. Oh, he has such a cool nickname. District 25. Apparently, as the Speaker of the State House, this guy was all in on opposing election integrity. He opposed these bills to crack down on voter fraud. He believes 2020 was legitimate. He's fought against efforts to, quote, overturn the election, as they like to say. And he even bent the knee for the January 6th committee and voluntarily testified before Nancy Pelosi's star chamber starring two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, about how evil and how terrible the you know conspiracy theorists are and crying about the threat to our democracy. He was challenged by a former state senator by the name of Dave Farnsworth. Uh, who is Tom, great, by the way. Who's great. Tom, what happened to Speaker Bowers? So Rusty Bowers, everybody wants to attribute his loss to him deciding to testify before the January 6th uh, uh, committee. But that would imply that people are actually watching that thing. And I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that that ever happened. But he did. He did. He, went, he was their surprise witness. Everybody was thinking, who the heck could they possibly be getting for their surprise witness? Well, it turns out it was Rusty Bowers. Rusty Bowers was, I mean, he's the reason why Arizona, in my mind, as far as I'm concerned, is he's the reason why they decided to never uh, why they never decertified the 2020 election. I remember before January 6th, when it was still absolutely legally possible to do so, um, there was a critical mass of Republicans in the Arizona State House that were willing to vote to decertify. And Rusty Bowers, all they needed him to do was call a vote, and he refused to do it. So from the get-go, this guy has been totally just a stick in the mud. I don't know how to explain it, except the fact that I believe he is part of the John McCain holdouts. He is part of the the people who were trying to rule that state as though their Messiah, John McCain, were still giving them orders. And the last orders McCain gave before dying was Trump must be stopped. And so he mm -hmm. dedicated his life to that. And for some oddball reason, he decided, I believe he was running for the state Senate. I guess he realized he wasn't very popular in the House. Lost. The guy is totally out now. Now. And I wasn't paying attention to it, I agree, but I'm not surprised once I heard the, the information about it. Uh, Farnsworth was a big pro-Trump guy. He was very involved with the election integrity effort before uh, uh, the new legislature came in, the new session started, the new people were appointed in 2021, early 21. He is an America first fighter versus a guy who, in, despite managing to never achieve anything higher than state, speak, state house speaker, has been reviled by Republicans across this country. I remember one of the most viral articles we wrote during that 2020 fallout was about Rusty Bowers. We're talking hundreds of thousands of clicks for something about the state house speaker incomprehensible <laughs> the guy's not going to be elected dog catcher and that's the real beauty of all this by the way i'm really getting like trump says i'm really starting to enjoy revenge as i get older and oh, so yeah. as an example aren't we rusty all? bowers his career is over he what's he mm -hmm. going to run for now he's old he's like in his late 60s he had his little position of power what's he going to do take four years off and run for something else no he's done nobody's getting elected in their 70s for, uh, to a seat they did not already held the other thing is true with uh, Brnovich as well Brnovich was probably thinking because this is how politicians think 
gee, I've won a couple statewide elections. I, I, it's time for me to run for governor. And if I win the governor, that well, there's really nowhere left to go but the White House. Wrong, <laughs> Bernovich. You have nowhere to go. You're done. You got to start at the ground up. Maybe in another few years, he can run for state house and restart his political campaign. That's the most beautiful, or his political career, rather. That's the most mm-hmm. beautiful part of this, is not only did our guys win, but the losers are looking at the end of their political careers. They might as well move to Virginia and become a lobbyist. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is in most professions, if someone is in, like, if they're trying to move up the corporate ladder and they just don't get it, they've got enough, enough money and everything. They own a home. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to retire. I'm going to spend my last years on the beach or in the mountains. I'm going to enjoy time with family. With politicians, it's different. Most politicians want to keep going until they literally drop dead. Like they want to keep climbing that political ladder until they're 85, 90 years old, because to them, living is being a politician, being on the ballot somewhere. So, yeah, it really is a a tough purgatory for a lot of these losing politicians when they realize that they're at the end of the line. And just think of the anguish. They've spent their entire lives getting as far as they've had. This would be like if you got – uh, if you think you're going to be uh, the new vice president of sales for IBM and instead the president comes in and says, you're fired, you're blackballed, no one will ever hire you again, get your crap and get out. Mm. This is per- This is the most delicious revenge we could have had. I regret that it took two years, but boy, am I glad to see it. And Arizona, by the way, it's a lot of people wonder why we all care about Arizona so much. Why do I care so much about Arizona? Why do I know more about Arizona than like any other state in the union? And there's a few reasons. The one is that I was sued by space Hitler, as I like to call him. Uh, But beyond that, Arizona is the scene of a massive California exodus. You have tech companies moving there because Mm -hmm. Ducey is true. The current Republican rhino governor who now hates Trump is trying to get them to come. You have at the same time, the vestiges of this John McCain deep state that had a stranglehold over that poor state for years. You have this beautiful fight where the our side won with Kelly Ward being elected as party chairwoman. It is a state that has tremendous opportunity in the wake of John McCain leaving, and it also has tremendous opportunity for the left to turn it into just an extension of Southern California. Those mm-hmm. people deserve a fight, and they deserve to potentially be one of the most important battleground states in America, uh, if uh, if we will give them the attention they need. Exactly. And that's what is so special about this. That Arizona, ostensibly a red state, has now slowly become a battleground in recent years. And the fact that, again, the statewide executive slate going into the general election is so based. You have Kerry Lake, you have Mark Fincham, you have Abraham Hamaday, you have uh, Blake Masters, of course. You got Paul Gozar going back to Congress. And just imagine in that team right there. Masters, Lake, and Fincham. If those people get elected, you know, especially if you have Carrie Lake as governor and Fincham as secretary of state, they will. That executive team will make Ron DeSantis look like a rhino. They will absolutely make <laughs> Arizona the new Florida. It will be the Florida of the Pacific time zone. And Can I tell you my favorite Fincham story after please, you're done? Please do. No, go for it. That's all I want okay, to say. Please okay. go for it. So. So uh, when we were doing our uh, election coverage after the 2020 election, we were told we need to talk to Mark Fincham. And uh, we got his number. And it was actually Jack Hadfield, who I know has been on the show before, Mm -hmm. who spoke to him for the first time. And they had about a, I don't know, half hour long discussion. But and, And Jack recorded it all so I could listen to it and help write the story. And it was only about 15 minutes into this half hour discussion that uh 
that Mark Fincham finally goes, well, I suppose I should ask, who are you with again? You are friendly media, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is a real human being right there who sat there and talked to us like people without even realizing who the hell we were. We could have been talking to CNN or NPR. No, that is great. That is that's fantastic see we need someone like that and the fact that you you look at people already in arizona you've got paul gozar and andy biggs they already have some of the most base members of congress imagine them having potentially the most or i guess tied for first most base senator blake masters presuming jd vance also gets in i think they both will be equally amazing and then carrie lake who very much would be a female ron DeSantis. friends of mine and i were when we were talking about it like you know when it looked like they were going to steal from her they're saying oh they're stealing it because they know they can't have a ron DeSantis become governor of another swing state because if carrie lake really does what she says she's going to do on election integrity and all issues social issues whatnot arizona will go Immigration, yes, as a border state, absolutely. It will go back to being solidly red. They won't be able to steal it. And that is only going to make it just that much harder for them in 2024. I have a crazy well, conspiracy. I think it's going to I think Kerry might be on the ticket in 24. Wouldn't ooh, that be something? Wouldn't that be inarguable? That, that would be great. Wins, I, if she wins, I definitely see that because I was reading an article this morning that um, Trump. He was so impressed. One of the reasons why he was so impressed with Kerry was because she went harder on the 2020 election than anyone else that he endorsed. He said, if you bring it, doesn't matter what you talk to her about. You can bring up sports and ask her how sports teams in Arizona are doing. And she'll say, well, they'd be doing better if we could fix the 2020 fraud. He said, you can ask her about the weather. He can say, Kerry, how's the weather in Arizona? And she'll say, well, the weather's great, but it would be a lot better if we could fix the election in 2020. He's like, I love that. I love that in a person. So yeah, that's, I could definitely see him picking her as his running mate if he runs again in 2024. And she is so, she's the opposite of Trump while being the same as him. She's so reserved and every word is measured. And she always sounds like she's read the speech millions of times, even if it's the first time she's seeing it, or even if it's not a speech, it's off the cuff comments. She, I I think Trump could have, could use, that that's what they tried to do with pence but everybody just hated pence left right yeah. and center so <laughs> exactly could pull that off yeah definitely her career as being a a reporter for many years you know a statewide news anchor definitely helped with that she has this very if you ever listen to her interviews she has this very measured presentation she's got this like this calm soft voice she's not you know a shrill woman like you know hillary clinton or kamala harris she's just very she's very exactly she's very pleasant to listen to but she will she will kill you with kindness like you see her tear apart a reporter on cnn she will just very politely rip their guts out you know she she will just like she is not wearing a mask this time (laughs) (laughs) so good so good yeah I, i can't wait the thought of that and again in arizona a state we need to flip back that is so important and that is why between arizona and along with michigan michigan also had some really great clean sweeps from my MAGA candidates Arizona especially the fact that it happened there is a huge blow to the left and they know it and it's a huge so, blow to the establishment right as well I want to add one more thing then I'll I'll shut up about Arizona unless you have more but the the Senate campaign by the way and gosh what was that horrible woman's name who who was in the position before Mark Kelly I apologize Martha I McSally up. Martha McSally the one woman wrecking ball of Arizona <laughs> she was in a, a house seat and then she lost it to the Democrats so then uh, John McCain dies and what do they do they give her John McCain's seat and yeah. she loses it to the Democrats well she was without like her 
she was elected to the yeah. House, and then she ran for the Senate seat that was uh, Jeff Flake left. She ran for Jeff Flake's oh, old seat. So That's she managed right. to get both seats. She's both a one-woman wrecking ball. She loses mm-hmm. everything, and I'm pretty sure the seat that she left ended up going to a Democrat, but I may be wrong on that. So she just – she is like a deep – uh, a spy, a, a deep agent, an undercover spy for the Democrats at this point. Have her run in a, way, a race if you want the Democrats to win in a landslide. And so, and she was anti-Trump. She was lukewarm yep. at best, but she was really anti-Trump. Nobody could understand why they put her in that position. And then she lost to Mark Kelly because nobody cares about her. Exactly. And so I, with Blake Masters being so energetic, with the entire slate of Republicans being so energetic and full of vigor, I don't see any way for, for Space Hitler to get another term. Send him back Back to space, as Blake Master says. Exactly. They, they, what they try to do, what they love so much about Martha McSally is that she was a fighter pilot back in the day and, like, I guess was the first woman in charge of a squadron of fighter pilots or something in the Air Force, mm. something along those lines. So, like, oh, you know, military veteran, woman, Republican. But, yeah, she well, ran it against— back to the Iraq War era in which the mm-hmm. Republican Party in the early 2000s and early 20-teens was like, let's just put up anyone who's a veteran and then I'll get Republicans to show yes. up in droves because— if they're a veteran, then that must mean they're a great politician. But yeah, I think Republicans are moving past that as the yeah. Iraq war gets further in the rearview mirror. Exactly, exactly. And again, she lost. She gave us Kristen Cinema, who granted has been a bit of a thorn in the Democratic leadership side for some time, which is good. Uh, but yeah, and then she loses to Mark Kelly. And that really is just a clash of cultural icons because you have, yeah, she's a veteran fighter pilot. But you have her up against Mark Kelly, who is, is a he loser. He was a damn astronaut. He was an astronaut. People love astronauts. <laughs> John Glenn. Remember John Glenn? The one person, yeah. rumor has it that the one Democrat Ronald Reagan was terrified of in 1984 and feared he would actually lose to is John Glenn. He was like, if John Glenn got that nomination, he might. <laughs> actually beat me because he's an astronaut people love astronauts yeah so yeah it's a damn astronaut and then beyond that i mean i i hate to bring this up even but he's got that poor wife and i yes. I, I regret even talking about this but Gabby she Giffords. was of course mm-hmm. attacked they tried to blame it on sarah palin and now i the, it sickens me he trots her out she's she i guess she's as good as she's ever gonna get but she can't talk right and she was shot in the head and she survived god bless her but now she's a political crutch for her husband to walk around on and that those sympathy i think the sympathy strings matter so of course she was going to win to, to mcsally it was it was unbelievable that they would put her up unironically and what's beautiful is about this our our enemies keep showing exactly how incompetent they are we see this all the time with biden on the national level and it's getting kind of scary but with the arizona establishment republicans without their leader john mccain the everything went to hell in a handbasket in what two years and now it's our turn to take charge exactly you know what would have helped them they should have brought in cindy if they oh. just brought in Cindy to, to take, you know, take her father's place, take up the mantle, yeah, then they were. Out. You know what? I think. Oh, you mean Megan? Even worse. <laughs> God, I actually, there was talk about that. I think I'm going to step on your toes, right, Eric? Because they were actually talking about appointing Cindy McCain, the widow, to fill her husband's role for the. I mean, my God, possibly. I mean, <laughs> well, what I was referring to that is that's true. There was speculation about that, but what I was referring to is that yes, for the Senate race, they were there was speculation that a candidate for the Republican nomination would be. Jack McCain, John McCain's son that no one's ever heard of until now. Wow. Fortunately, he did not run. He chose not to run, thankfully. But they, they just cannot let go of that McCain family. And they, they continue to use this. For example, in 2020, I think the Wikipedia page for 
U.S. presidential election in Arizona 2020 explicitly says Cindy McCain's vocal support for Joe Biden is seen as a key reason Arizona flipped blue. And I'm like, oh, shut up. Nobody cares about that. But they believe that. So when they see this McCain grip weakening and Meghan McCain whining on Twitter about Carrie Lake, a conspiracy theorist winning, they know they're losing it. Ducey knows he's losing his grip. Brnovich is losing his grip. And they don't know what to do with it. So they are just melting down on their way out the door. And they're so petty. I remember after Kelly Ward won her chairwoman position that she still holds, the losing candidate was this guy who had like multiple citations for driving without insurance, driving without a license, driving with a minor in the vehicle while doing those two things. Like it was just like a mile long. And he was the establishment backed candidate who tried to sound vaguely pro Trump. He would say, we need to secure the elections and he lost, he lost by like a lot. And then what do they do? He goes and says, well, well, my opponent stole the election. Kelly Ward stole the election and we should have been counting those ballots differently. And I mean, they're just so unbelievably petty and, and it's not the majority of people we could, I, I, it was, it's maybe the majority of a Republican. Uh, uh, what do you call those things? Not committee men. Is that what they're called? One of the most powerful yeah, yeah, yeah. positions the Republican Party the, has? The RNC committee, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was maybe the majority of the local RNC committeemen, but it was not the average Arizonan. Uh, anybody who thinks otherwise is insane. I, I'm also looking forward to, by the way, I have no idea what Doug Ducey is going to do. Born, I believe, Douglas Roscoe, the son of alleged mafia associates. I have no idea what he's going to do when he gets kicked out. I hope that, again, I think lobbying, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, these people tend to view their lives as incomplete without uh, uh, having a job in politics. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that happen to a guy here uh, locally, gosh, T-Art was his name, he, uh, he decided he wanted to run, he was in the house decided he wanted to run for the senate and let uh let pompeo have a seat then he lost then the next go around he decides he wants his old seat back pompeo won't give it up and he loses this guy pouted so hard he wound up leaving the state and i believe he is now a full-time lobbyist living in maryland Ah, oh, of course. It all leads back to the suburbs of Maryland and North Virginia that surround D.C. All these these big, beautiful mansions that Jacob, one time you and I were driving, like going to a party or something, and we drove past these insane mansions in like North Virginia. And we were like, OK, I think a defense contractor lives in that one and a high ranking CIA <laughs> officer lives in that one. It's like it's that one's Frank Luntz house. Oh, hey, I see. Uh... I see, uh, I see who, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. There. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, why are they in the same room? <laughs> i just can't it really and that is the that is why folks we laugh to avoid crying we laugh but it is true how incestuous it is the relationship between these various special interests and lobbyist groups and everything in the swamp in dc and in the states in the individual states it's true folks you've got to get all of them out you've got to completely just rush the polls and sweep them out with these grassroots candidates and we just did that in Arizona. It cannot be emphasized enough. Every bit as important as J.D. Vance's primary, as the North Carolina primary, as the Pennsylvania primary. Arizona's primary was a massive victory. And that is only going to get even better, I think. Again, if the indication if the trends are an indication that we saw historically high Republican turnout in the primary, Arizona could very well be on the verge of a huge red wave that no amount of fraud by Katie Hobbs or anyone will be enough to overcome. That Carrie Lake will win, Blake Masters will win, Mark Fincham will win, and when the Republicans, and presumably they hold the state legislature as well, 
And when they take complete control, real conservatives and America firsters take control of Arizona, it's going to be the Florida of the Pacific time zone. It is going to be another deep red state. And that obviously is another massive headache for the Democrats. And I, for one, cannot wait for that. Got to be careful with that Pacific time zone thing, because the Arizonans will be the first to tell you that they're not technically Pacific time. They're Arizona time. They will have, you know, because they don't have daylight savings there, believe it or not. Ah, that's right. They're, they're truly. In a- <laughs> I was thinking that's a great saying. How come nobody else has used it before? Oh, yeah. Arizonans would kill you for that. <laughs> ah, they are people of culture. They realize that daylight savings is a waste of time. Literally, they don't want to yeah. be associated with Pacific either. I don't think. Aren't they in Mount? They're not in mountain time zone then are they they're, they're, they're actually well it all depends what time of year it is oh, right now they are yeah. the same as california when daylight mm-hmm. savings changes or whatever then i think they're they're in mountain time huh. that's right see I they, they will them. be the first to tell I, I you to switch my clock back and forward I, yeah right i'm with them that's why i keep saying that i would support joe biden a little more if he actually passed that bill that rubio introduced in the senate to end daylight savings because like honestly but he did it the wrong way they want to leave us an hour off let us go back to normal first and then get rid of daylight savings you psychopaths uh, rubio <laughs> see, he can't do anything right the few times i remember that marco rubio exists it's for something like that that makes me not like him anymore <sighs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that is a good point. Yes, yeah. just... you forget that he's around most of the time. <laughs> it's I, you I, do, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the water bottle that finished his career. Let, let's be honest. I have to keep our eyes out for that one. I want mandatory monkeypox screening for all uh, senators. Actually, yeah. I think that would be. Oh. I think that would be good. Lindsay, I will. I, Lindsay Graham. Be sure, remind them, be sure to remind them that they don't just need to avoid gay orgies. They need to avoid all. <laughs> orgies. Yeah, but pref- mostly gay orgies, according to uh, Ned Ryan, which of course triggered Brad Palumbo. Uh, uh, talked uh, about no, previously. That's that's uh, that's homophobic. That's you don't have to be bigoted about it, Eric. Uh, after all, I, I was going to say Brad Palumbo is another one. Can get it. I forget that Brad Palumbo exists. He blocked me on Twitter years ago for like I don't I can't even remember why. And I forget he exists until stuff like that where he looks like a buffoon opposite to Ned Ryan. It's like, what are you even doing here, dude? Come on, but, uh, I, it's not about being gay in the gayest. How many stuff? orgies do you go to, Brad? How many gay? How many big orgies do you attend? Because I'm at zero. I'll, I'll admit that. I'm proud of that. Actually. I can also I'm report zero. zero. <laughs> uh, I, no I, orgies. I just had no to say orgies. that your brilliant suggestion, Tom, that uh, all senators be screened regularly for monkeypox. Uh, I think I can hear the sound of Lindsey Graham sweating from over here. <laughs> he uh he's out of the country for the screening time actually he's in uh, uh he's on a boat 70 miles off the coast in international waters we can't get to him today he's off the hook i guess also if if we implement mandatory monkeypox screening for senators now then i think evan mcmullen will just drop his senate bid immediately is he oh, yeah. running for senate what is yeah. he an independent he's, he's, no, he's, he's a democrat he's running as an independent in utah he's challenging mike lee But the Democrat Party of Utah, because they never win, they realized, okay, we're not going to have a chance. They chose not to nominate anyone, and they're throwing their support officially behind McMullen. So he's an independent. Basically, he would be a Bernie Sanders or Angus King, like independent, but I'm basically a Democrat. So and I have a buddy, actually, a little bit of inside information here, a buddy of mine from Utah who says he is actually fairly worried that Mike Lee could lose that race because a number of questionable votes he has taken recently. So, Well, I mean, Politico ran an article entitled The Utah Independent Coup Just Might Have the Formula to Beat Trumpism. And I'm thinking, again? Like, I was thinking, okay, they've actually found someone, and then I see Evan McMullen is cobbling together a new alliance. I'm like, oh, okay. 
We're just we're just going in circles here. It's just yeah, it's just uh, Evan McMuffin all over again. But that yeah, guy we'll... just uh, he can't hold down a job. I remember a few months ago after the maybe it was last year, he was going to start a new uh, quote unquote conservative political party to oppose Trump. I guess that fell through. So now he's got a he found a new grift. I mean, didn't the Lincoln Project already basically cover that for him? Like, he really should just join the Lincoln Project. Yeah, he really should. That people, in fact, everyone who agrees with him should just all join the Lincoln Project. So that can just be the Never Trumper Project. I mean, we can have it all in one place. I mean, they especially love their, you know, their obnoxious, you know, and awkward men with questionable sexualities. He would fit right in with them at that point. <laughs> but I mean— going to say that— I don't know. Saying somebody should join the that, – that's almost libel because saying someone should join the Lincoln Project is like saying he's a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean th- th- we have evidence of that. That's the thing. It's not libel if it's true. We have that guy – what was that guy's <laughs> name? The, the, the guy who left and they were forced to disavow him. John something. Oh, well, I yeah, got- the guy who was texting 17, 15-year-old boys saying, I can give you a career in politics if you want to come down to my condo. <laughs> John Weaver. That's right, John, John Weaver. Weaver. Yeah. Right. I wanted to say John Weiner, and I knew that wasn't quite right, but I <laughs> I mean, we'll leave that to Anthony Weiner. I mean, that's that's still got to be the most legendary hey, coincidence. Anthony Weiner trademarked that. He's already got the trademark on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a report the other day again tabloids, and we're just going off on tangents here because that's about what we Uma? do. I saw Did about you see who, Uma's remarrying, she's marrying Bradley Cooper of all things, which I guess is an upgrade for her. <laughs> if I'm being honest, Uma yeah, yeah, she's dating yep. Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay, hey, good for her. That's uh, yeah, I wouldn't have expected Bradley Cooper to want that. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking she's a succubus. Maybe Anthony <laughs> Weiner is actually a totally normal person. And if we saw a photo of him from 20 years ago before they met, we wouldn't recognize him. Maybe she did that to him. <laughs> Oof, maybe you look at these pictures of people from like political figures from years ago and they look completely different. You ever seen what Jerry Nadler looked like when he first got elected in like the 90s? He, no, for one, he, he was much bigger. And I mean, huge. He literally. looked. Oh, like, yeah. He was even fatter. Yeah, I have seen those. Actually, but he oh, looked. Yeah. And yeah, he, now. He's, but he sounded and acted just like Newman from Seinfeld. Like he was, he was unironically <laughs> Newman. The glasses, everything. Well, and now he's, another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say another fun one to look up uh, for the folks at home is uh, you look up photos of a young Chris Christie. He is tall, dark, and handsome, and sh- and skinny as the day is long. And you just look at him, and you're like, "What happened, uh-huh. man? Who hurt you? Just Who side- did this to you?" Side by side of that old picture of Chris Christie with that infamous picture of him on the beach, like sitting in that chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Who did this? Oh. What did this to you? You just want to get him some. Th- Therapy, man. I just, uh, <laughs> uh, this is what just we leave out of politics. Just get out of politics, and you'll probably start thinning down. Politics, yeah. <laughs> pol- let's be honest; it, it ruins a person if you let it take over your entire life. Well, you know, I I think Chris Christie does have a reason to be proud, though. Despite losing everything he's ever tried, he uh, he beat the lap band. He beat the weight loss surgery. It was no match for him, and good for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that is definitely something. I, I'll, if nothing else, I still <laughs> I, I just can't. I love the fact that of all things, he got humiliated like, at the end of it all. Like he was going to be chief of staff in the Trump administration. And it was Jared Kushner who stepped in. It was like, nope, you are done. Get out of here, buddy. Like and props. That's one of the best things Jared Kushner ever did. So, I mean, Chris, he was that close. Christie knew he was that close and he's never going to live that down. 
Man, whenever you think of how bad things were because of Kushner, I guess that is a silver lining. Hey, we could have been Chris Christie in there instead. <laughs> oh. Ooh, that's that's a bullet dodged. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Jared Kushner. That is, uh, we could do this ri- these riffs for hours, guys, but we all do have lives outside politics. We have places to be. And we are going to go ahead and wrap this episode up here now. Tom, if you want to go ahead and maybe close out and once again plug any uh, websites, social media where people can follow you and maybe tease uh, some of the latest stuff you guys may have coming up at Valiant News. Oh, I will think of what I can tease. You can find me at ValiantNews.com. That's where we do some of the, in my humble opinion at least, some of the best and most comprehensive journalism you're ever going to see. You can find me personally at RealTomPappard on Twitter, at RealGodEmperorTrump on Gab, and on Truth. I'm just at Tom Pappard. Now, for something special, I can't exactly say when it's going to drop, but we've got a big culture war story going on about Minecraft, of all things. (laughs) There's something fascinating going on with how they are playing with uh, free speech or lack thereof uh, and what their community... uh, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. We'll leave it at that. But Minecraft hate speech kerfuffle coming up at ValiantNews.com. Keep an eye out. Ooh, epic gamers should definitely tune in for that one. Minecraft is super important because, as we all know, the one quick way to get out of you know uh, accusations of hate speech or radical political speech is to just say, you know, always attach in Minecraft to the end of the sentence. So if you, <laughs> you ever say, you know, it would be great if we overthrew this evil deep state in Minecraft. You in know, Minecraft, it, it would be great. <laughs> I love it. All right, fantastic. We will be keeping an eye out for that breaking Minecraft culture war story, Tom. Thank you so much again for joining us, man. It's always great to have you on, and you are welcome back on the show at any time, as you already know. Well, thank you, Eric. It's been great being here, and thank you, Jacob. You guys are scholars and gentlemen, and I look forward to being back. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you so much, Tom, and thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to the latest episode here of The Right Take. As always, be sure to follow us for all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of podcast platforms and social media websites where we are available at righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, guys, if ever you are feeling oh so generous and want to continue supporting the great work that we do here, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.